It is October 14th, 2018, in the year of our Lord. And Trump has finally broken my brain. Um, what? On, on, a, uh, to- on top of a miniature bookshelf uh, just behind me is a mail-in ballot for the state of Florida. Um, I am voting for the 10-term incumbent Democratic Senator, uh, Bill Nelson. And wow. I'm also voting for Andrew Gilliam, also Whoa. a Democrat, uh, for governor. You're crossing class lines here, Jake. <laughs> God damn it, you Jake. Now, all... they're, now they're going to call us fucking reformists. You all have one hour to convince me to return to the proletari- proletarian struggle to drop okay. this uh, interclass right. alliance. Yeah. Okay, and, Jake, uh, we're joining the resistance. I feel especially equipped to to help you through this, Jake. I've honestly, do, I honestly don't things. care. I honestly I, think it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> That's the thing. I no, I, I, I don't I, even think I disagree with Jake here. I, I think this is a test of revolutionary virtue. I as, uh, as ancient as time. They broke me. Just, I am a broken man. Uh, I I I signed up to vote also, and I'm. I'm planning on um, writing in Bernie Weed Sanders and uh, uh, cool, <laughs> other cool candidates, other cool candidates to Rosa, make my dad happy. That's respectable. I think that is going by proletarian class lines. That's fine. Thanks. I'm voting for the Democrats. I'm not campaigning for anyone, but whatever. I just I probably won't even end up voting, but I just don't think you're crossing a class line if you vote for a Democrat. Yeah. I am being somewhat facetious. I, I here's the thing. There's multiple like there's multiple rational ways to approach something. Like people have different ethical intuitions. And for some people, the obvious lesser evil like equation for them in the short term, even if it doesn't actually play out that way in the long term a lot, like that in the short term, it just seems like the right thing to do. People are gonna make that calculation. I think the whole the whole concept of Marxist politics, however, is to create some kind of class independent institution. And yeah. it's not so much that you shouldn't like advocate, you know, voting for someone within a party, but you can't advocate loyalty to the party. And I guess insofar as that there's a media institution uh, that communists are running. They probably don't have any business in promoting or, you know, even yeah, broadcasting yeah. Their, their personal votes, like, in a way. Like, it might even be something a communist might want to just, like, you know, be quiet about, even if they do. Huh. So, she's, anyway, so I feel like Jake There's is trying some... to transition into another point here. Well, we got to talk about this UN climate report because it comes, like, at the end of not only a brutal uh, series of uh, weather events over the course of the summer, but also an increasingly series of like depressing reports uh, about the state of the climate and the ecosystem generally, right? So the UN Climate Report aggregates a lot of other studies and tries to draw out a picture of what climate change is going to bring and what kind of adjustments would be needed to avert crisis. Um, and basically, to sum up the gist of this report, it's going to be a hellscape no matter what. But we have 
basically 10 years to implement some kind of global economic planning and retool our entire energy infrastructure to prevent it from being basically uh, the greatest like mass genocide or accidental die off in human history. Democide, really. Demos just means it's just a big amount of people. Yeah. It's not yeah. necessarily dumbass aside. Am I right? A, a bomb. Yeah, so it's the difference between basically 1.5 and 2 degree warming is what we have. Because 1.5 is basically baked in now. Uh, mm -hmm. But we it is technically possible for, from a physical standpoint to prevent 2 degree warming. But in many ways, I've also read that this report kind of actually soft pedals things a little bit, even as dire as it is, because they feel like if they said it was actually as bad as it is, the governments would just be like, oh, I guess we really can't do anything. Fuck it. So, you know, it's pretty grim. And it's been mm -hmm. reports have been getting pretty grim for a while. And it's enough that it's, you know, literally starting to affect my mental health in some ways, which I guess maybe is a self-centered no. way of putting it. Either way, that I understand, like, the impact of mental health on this stuff. I remember I had, I mean, but the thing is, for me, I kind of already had this phase. And I've kind of just entered this position to where, well, it's it's very likely that it's going to happen. But well, the thing is, I've had this time. There, there this, is there's a phase. small possibility that maybe I should stand for what the right thing to do is, and that will pay off in the end. Wow, well, I've had I've had this phase before, and I'm having it again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's like this is something that's bothered me for a long time. It's and, an existential crisis, right? I mean, pretty much for the yeah. entire human race. Yeah, basically, who's at the wheel? Who's in the driver's seat? It's the yeah, it's class. Yeah, it's a question. It's the capitalist Barely. class driving the human race into utter destruction. But they can't even form a coherent subject to address their own collective problem. And this is, regardless of what people say, this is a problem for them. They will suffer for it. So they're the most insulated. So it seems perverse to, to even focus on it for a moment. Yeah. You know, people they love will burn and drown. Will well, they though? They're planning. They're actually planning on like getting their count compounds ready and shit like that. There was another article that came out earlier, way a few months back, that we actually discussed here that like covers how they're this weird lecture that like went in a kind of odd direction where the, like all these capitalists just got this like scientists or whatever I can't remember and they just started asking them which would where would be the best place to go in order to survive like apocalyptic sort of like climate change situation yeah, yeah. how yeah. Would we like secure the loyalty of our guards things like that yeah like, some of them are planning ahead but there's only so much you can do there's a well, black swan effect to these things. for themselves and not for society as a whole. Yeah. Well, yeah. they are planning for society, but they're planning to take care of us if we storm the gates. Well, this yeah. is the thing. I think that basically what, what might end up happening is I will have a long period of basically war communism where we're forced to basically like suffer through this period of rationing and austerity just in order to survive and maintain the forces of production. Because more, of breakdown. Here's the, here's what's scary though. More and more, that looks like our best case scenario. Like that's the best case scenario for a socialist transition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. War communism again 
and trying to manage this extreme scarcity again, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's a disturbing thought, but it, it might be what we have. And it's going to be hard to sell that to the public. But, but think about think about the moral dimensions of this too, right? Because most of most of the warming is going to happen at the equator, and that's going to be the locus of most of the population transfer. I mean, look what's look what's happening with immigration now. You know, what's going to happen when it's like a giant deluge? How yeah, it's going to just end how up much being... how much how much are people going to be able to amp themselves up to the themselves up to this idea of okay, we just gotta we just gotta keep these people out and just you know whatever fuck them, you know what I mean, like. I feel like I could. I almost feel like the beginning of like this, or the intensification of like this um, different nationalism, mostly like white nationalisms, is like a project to basically prepare us for that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, because look at look what's happening globally. It seems like there is a right wing turn amongst the global capitalist class. Look at Brazil. You know, look at Europe. Look at all the. You know, look at all these like. It seems as though, like the, like the, I, I really don't think that this would be possible if there weren't sections of the capitalist class who were breaking this way. I mean, yeah, but the best that they can propose right now is a fucking carbon tax, and you know how effective taxes are, you know, in like stopping the capitalists from doing things. You know, you know, they won't even, the they won't loopholes. even, they won't even pay people union union wages here. They'll they'll move all their operations out of this fucking country to avoid giving people health care. They're gonna pay a fucking carbon tax. Are you shitting me? Yeah, it's, capitalists are really creative and cool and just like I mean, they, they this just, is this is almost they, an argument though for just basically going on the offensive against capitalism and almost taking up a protracted people's war strategy if you think about it yeah, right but what is what is this even what does it even mean if it really is if it really is true that we have 10 years to make the change necessary to survive as a species then like we should be like gunning up and preparing to actually i don't know win a civil war The left is so far away from that. Yeah, exactly. The left has no infrastructure for that. Yeah, but if you look at the existing civil wars that have happened, like in Syria, the reason that these Islamist groups have been able to mobilize people is because as Assad's uh, neoliberalism hollowed out the welfare state, the uh, religious elites were able to base build and win loyalty from people who are being fucked over by the state. So that's how all these jihadist militias were able to mobilize people. And so, you know, there's just, it's a very uh, disturbing situation. Yeah, no. What we need to do is like have sort of a united front around like a minimum program of just like something that we can just unite ev almost practically anyone around. Just anyone? like, well, anyone on like within the, leftish sphere define left i was just like french revolution yeah uh no. just what the I, the, the I, left you, the left side like, of okay the a general program, social struggle program. i was thinking about it the other night 
just a program of nationalizing energy industries, nationalizing those industries and putting them under direct economic planning, specifically those industries and just a number of like other like small steps like towards like environmental like uh, to avoid environmental catastrophe there would be sort of like a labor army for like planting trees and like other environmental like efforts that would be needed to be done and things like that just like a creation of this green minimum program just to save humanity i i don't even know it would be like a sort of eco-emergency socialism or New well, Deal kind of thing. Just, I mean, this wouldn't. I mean, to get us to zero emissions, I mean, is not beyond like the realm of physical possibility. Like, you could basically build a fuck ton of nuclear reactors that would make a pretty much any gap, yeah. pretty much yeah, any lack no. that you had in term in terms of uh, green, uh, clean that's energy. Why, that's then, why you would nationalize the industries. That's right. why you would nationalize the industries. You would like have to do this hard transition into like renewable energy that would honestly fuck with the capitalist economy so you would have to plan more of the economy as you would go along but yeah it would be essentially like something in between like the five-year plan and the new deal but for the environment i i don't Right, but the, the the trick is basically creating the political force that could make this sort of thing possible. Yeah, that's it. Looks like because it looks like, you know, the state is going to basically become increasingly. It's possible. I mean, unless there's like a big, some kind of big Deus Ex Machina turnaround, it seems like they're basically insulating themselves from the popular will even further than before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, or maybe- the popular will is just being distorted into nationalism. Yeah, and- I mean, it's both obviously. So within this frame of mind, I want to reintroduce the old specter of the post-left and the anti-politics shitstorm because it's important for me to stress that there is a sort of wing of political life that is supposed to be able to address ecological issues. And as we've illustrated, the best that it it can do, um, and in, in the words of Amir, is suggest that we create like a game that if capitalists play it, it might accidentally save the world instead of directly solving the problem. In this situation, it doesn't make very much sense to align ourselves with that existing situation. And we need to appeal to basically the people that are disengaged, but taking this problem seriously. The idea of a green minimum program that is, of course, not going to include anything on, let's say, abortion, right? Like, it's just going to be a very targeted program. Like, that that seems to make sense, even though I, you know, I don't know how, I don't, I don't really know how um, you do this without the social base. And that's... Well, I just think that yeah. my, my idea would be that this kind of idea of a green minimum program would just be part of a party's minimum program. And you would have these right. crash course measures will be taken when we take power to avert climate catastrophe. And you and, would have a list of measures that you would right, use the but, state to accomplish in order to do that. And you would use this minimum program to win support from people. Like, but here's what I, I, I want right, to. I want to push back on like the anti-political stuff, though, because like honestly, 
I've talked to fucking normal people about climate change, and you know, they don't fucking respond to it. They right. don't. Well, it's a problem because it's not an immediate problem, right? Like there was there was a category four hurricane that just hit Florida, right? There were people who stayed who stayed home when that and just let it hit them, and they said, "Ah, it'll be fine." Like there, you know, or for instance, like uh, when those when mountains sometimes blow up, when Mount St. Helens blew up, there were people who stayed behind and said, "Nah, that's not gonna happen. It's just fine." Like so, no, there's so yeah, there's always. I mean, hold on, can we just can we just say that that people tend to find climate change to be a political issue external to their social interests because it's been it's been funneled into politics it's been turned into democratic party political football i mean that's well, what climate change means. i don't think the problem is that it's political though i just think that it's because it's become a partisan well, there's not the democratic there's, party at the same time if you're posing the question politically you're you're not motivating you're, i mean you're even among know, people who are like vaguely sympathetic with the Democratic Party that I've talked to, it's already too late for them. It's already too late. They just accept that it's happening. And well, there, there's another problem here too, and I think it, like this we talked about how ridiculous you know generational warfare is, but I think it is actually a legitimate mm. problem here because like old like I've had so many conversations with like boomer age people and usually at some point at some point even if they're even if they're completely down for completely equal you know de even degrowth and shit like that they'll usually drop something about how well they're not going to be alive when this happens yes so, that's one yeah. thing i've noticed i've seen eco-socialists who basically say that this all doesn't even matter because we're all going to die and so if you critique their proposals and ideas they just like play that card so it's 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 kind yeah. of a and i think that's a that's a cop-out I, I mean, I mean, they, people just like you've okay. So you know, century of the self, right? You basically created like this subject of like people who are through capitalism and through neoliberalism are basically conditioned to really only think in terms of their own, their and their family's own immediate interests, and so they're not really thinking beyond you know their own deaths, you know. Like there's a there's like a phrase somewhere you know where it's like it's like a Greek thing where if, if you see old men planting olive trees like that's mm. a good sign for the health of the society right because mm. they won't live to see it grow but they know that there's going to be a future but you know this particular like kind of subject yeah. created by american capitalism it just is not thought beyond their own retirement so it's just like well i'm not gonna be around for any of that so maybe it's real i don't have to think about whether it's real or not because it's not going to affect me there's a nihilism towards collective projects in American life. And so individual death is the only horizon. Maybe your kid's life, maybe. Well, that's but, why I think that it's, it's going to require the, the youth basically that, that there is some truth to the, you know, the kind of Maoist idea, but the youth are like, you know, the most radical section of the proletariat. And I think we have to look at people who we have to aim to win the votes of people who are disengaged from the existing political system, but want but our, but you have to present a political alternative that solves the problem to people that they can visualize in terms that are explainable to people, well, and that's well, it yeah, needs yeah. to attack the hypocrites that have enabled this. I mean, yeah, you need to do that too. But at the same time, you you can attack and negate and critique all you want, but you still have to have a positive vision that you give people because we can this spend all day attacking all the people who have fucked us over. 
and build a whole politics of resentment towards the leftists who have just been so foolish and not do the right it's, thing. It's not about resentment. All, it's about it's, it's about undermining this. It's about it's like trying to undermine their strategic position. The thing but about it, engaging it, with electoral politics most of the time is it's not done in service of that, and that is the most important thing that you can do as an internal opposition. Like that's just, it would be the same for imperialism. If yeah, but that point is that. To, to get people to engage in electoral politics, you have to have something positive to give people. You can't just have a critique. You have to right. have the offers. You have to offer something to people, a vision. And right. that was something that social democracy had. That's something that the Third yeah. International had. Yeah, I broadly agree with that. Although I have to say just, you know, in general, like the kind of politics that we've been pursuing is this idea that there, you know, there's got to be some kind of like communist program that would be the basis of our political action. And that if you, you know, really kind of deal with the long term, people will see their interest. Now, there's a sort of short termism to our time because we feel like there's maybe not that much time left. So the kind of short circuit of instrumental reason that usually gets people to vote Democrat is particularly convincing every cycle because there hasn't been the radical alternative. But I don't see how we can build a radical alternative without some way of detaching ourselves from that kind of false solution what, what, to this problem. What do you suggest? I, That's the fundamental thing here. It's yeah. all these critique, broader critiques of the left usually yeah. end up just hiding a lack of an actual strategy to put forward that's the fundamental problem it's like yeah we yeah, can yeah. agree the left is like limited by its weird cultiness and all this sort of like kind of like real criticism but it's also kind of superficial it's like obvious to anyone who looks outside of it yeah yeah it's cult yeah I'll, but it's it's like okay then how do you fix it or how do you put a strategy that is outside of it? Because I don't like, care about fixing the left. I know you don't. And I you don't <laughs> but, have a strategy. The fucking populists aren't going to come out of fucking nowhere and save us. There's no fucking social base that's going to save us. We're going to fucking die because everyone's sitting on their fucking hands. I don't think that the role of socialist intellectuals is to go out and win the masses to socialism. Everyone shut up. Uh, Grant is calmer than all of you, and so I think he's right. No, I'm literally gonna fucking die. I'm literally gonna die calm, in calm my down. middle like, ages. Calm down, calm down. Take a breath. If you I, I just think this is highlighting the unfreedom of, of and the externalizing force of politics um, in when we Don't ask the question, what should we do? This isn't a solution. Well, okay. What, so, what's so, the solution? What's the solution? What are what is the anti-political solution to this problem? I, yeah, I guess to try to charitably answer this, it would be that Grant doesn't care about fixing the left because they they would like to address the problem, and that the left trying to get involved well, with fixing the I left asked. is a sort of is, is a sort of navel gazing exercise. What? And I asked, 
what outside of this? What strategy? Well, well the decrepitude of the left just isn't the primary blocker to social movement today. So I, I don't need a strategy to fix the left. Okay, so what, what is the no, primary blocker? No, I'm asking though? for oh, a strategy yeah. outside of that. Right, which is the right question. I'm asking what is outside of it because I don't see it. I've never seen it fucking through these emancipation, stupid fucking blog post bullshit. I haven't seen it. And I've been waiting for the goddamn answer. I'm waiting for fucking your guru to fucking finish his goddamn book. I'm sorry. I'm. I need to no, but it's true there is, there is a serious problem with just constantly critiquing the problems of politics, but never actually like having a strategy. Because at some point, yes, politics is dirty and, and alienating, but people have to get their fucking hands dirty yeah, and deal with the fucking harsh realities of real life. Anti-politics is not, it's not an abstentionist analysis or something. You you act like it's, you know... But, but what is it? That, involve... like, what do you suggest that people do? You, you think that... I, I just don't understand why we shouldn't just form a, a Marxist party and fight for, a, you know, a, a, a correct program. Like, I just... I don't see why we can't just accept that I, I we have to, to engage in mass politics. Okay, let's let's let Grant talk. And okay, I I really liked um the the interview with the Chinese Marxist that we were talking about in the in the Discord um and Shuang a while back. Yeah, and uh, you know, it was I didn't agree with everything. I I felt there was this going out to the struggle kind of aspect to it but it was very lucid about the 20th century and I, I liked this quote all the praxis of the 20th century was basically a continuation of 19th century social democracy the left believed themselves to be professional political agents among whom some believed themselves to be revolutionaries while the workers were a separate group different from ourselves who we had to lead the workers to be led and liberated by us it was a disaster I think that's a very historically naive reading of the 20th century. That it, I think that one really has to be suspicious of these of these readings of the 20th century workers movement where basically you have you know these these intellectuals who boss workers around and the workers are for some reason loyal to these intellectuals who have ideas that don't actually benefit them or you know express their interests. And that's the kind of like I, I just and it and it, it's just it comes off as a way to basically try to just act like we don't have to account for our history that the realities of the 20th century communist movement in its broadest sense are things that we can just write off and say that we're just we're just completely different from that we don't have to answer for that because we're something completely different but that doesn't make that history stop existing. And and the, and the ideological weight of that history will continue to have power and mass culture. Okay, so what what is? I don't want to get into a debate about anti politics. Um, no, let's let's I, be positive. All right. I, I feel like no. I feel like I feel like because I feel like if we go down this thread, like this should maybe just be its own episode. We really I've been saying for a while we should have like a, just an anti politics throwdown and just like sort through all that because. Well, I, I, I want I want to talk about this other thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, 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 but but, more, but in in topic, like, so let's bring it to topic. Like, 
some, <laughs> some kind of like, okay. So the reason that I brought up the like class loyalties and class like unity and, and or not unity, the reason why I brought, I brought up class loyalty and like, like sort of revolutionary virtue ethic or something is because I think there's something archaic about the way that people used to, you know, be able to look to the workers party and at least you would vote for the socialist, you know, worker candidate, because at the end of the day, they really kind of like represented a better life for you in, in a, in some kind of material way. Like that's, I, I don't know if that was ever really true in the United States, like for the most part, and that's certainly not true in most places today. Like, um, so I don't know. Okay, no, but it's, okay. It's, it's, so, that's kind of changing though, because like for example, in Iraq, you know, this isn't my preferred practice, but you know, there's a communist party in coalition government with a basically a, a Shia liberation theologist. Okay, so, that's that's and, and so there are there are existing, and I think that so there's exceptions. There's definitely yeah, there's, exceptions. There's, there's exceptions, and I think we should look at these exceptions and kind of understand yeah. what circumstances are allowing for these exceptions. That's I totally think- reasonable, and that's that's like a hundred percent on point. But I guess the point that I was trying to get to here is that in order to translate in a place like the United States, where there really is such a dominant two-party system, we confront these arguments from some of the smarter DSA people that are just like incredibly structuralist, but they have a point. Look, this is just our reality. It's just Republicans and Democrats. What you gonna do? Like, let's be honest, when we look at the Republicans and the Democrats there, you know, and how they perform, like the Democrats consistently favor, you know, more progressive policies than the Republicans. So it's in order to do class loyalty, we're going to have to do party loyalty to the Democrats. And so for an anti-political quote, quote analysis to mean fucking anything. And if we have to do politics in this system, then we have to have an omnivorous attitude towards the Democrats and the Republicans. We organize a, you know, Republican communists of America and do partner work with the DSA. And we have a cross like we have a, you know, basically unity across these party lines against the establishments of the parties to fight for the ecological minimum program or something. I don't know how in this situation, when you're trying to save the world in 10 years, you can actually do a whole communist program that includes stuff like abortion and, you know, I don't know, puberty blockers for all children. You know what I mean? With with that, (laughs) With that, I was actually specifically trying to get to an idea where it didn't necessarily even have to really be communist. It would be eco-socialist in a way, in a way where it could be something that like social Democrats and like even like sort of left leaning progressives could possibly get behind. Well, this is uh, this reminds me of the original concept of the United Front comes from the open letter in 1920, which was written by Paul Levi and someone else from the KPD. I can't remember. But basically, it called for all the different unions and workers parties, including the SPD, to basically engage in united struggle to, you know, defeat the free corps, uh, keep wages to rising as inflation. You know, basically, it was a set of common 
struggles that would improve the condition of the working class and includes increase the working class's power in society and so the idea was that these specific campaigns and reforms they could collaborate on and essentially fight for these given reforms okay while still maintaining independence here's what here's another aspect of this i want to talk about that's maybe a little um little more divorced from like in the immediate because i mean look mm-hmm. the fact is you know we're not gonna we're not gonna build up probably the political i mean again barring some kind of like deus ex machina and like maybe some section of the capitalist class like D- dsa machina that and maybe some sector of the capitalist class like w- awakens to its own rational self-interest but you know it doesn't look like that's the way things are headed um so at some level two degree warming minimum is baked in right and so i think we really need to think about you know, what a late 20th century dictatorship of the proletariat could possibly even look like and what would be the social force that would bring it about. Because again, you're going to have these mass migrations of people. The Muslim world is going to probably be literally invading the quote unquote Western world. Um, You know, you're going to wait, 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 what? Well, think about, well, so much, so much of the areas that are going to get wiped out are going to be like Arabia, greater Arabia. Yeah. um, But it'll, it'll be people like, you know, refugees not not like a conquering army that's what well that's what i mean like the like that many people like you know are, are like the 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 stuff that like white nationalists are freaked out right now about is going to be amped up to 11 you know coming this so like you know and same thing like with you know people coming from like central america and to up north and all that so you know like how do how do we foster like international solidarity? How do we like fight the kind of tribalism or the tribalist impulse that's gonna, you know, how do we, and how do we manage that scarcity? What do we do when like food uh, yields like decline as a result yeah. of, you know, uh, he, you know, I'm just like, you're gonna be dealing with like well, less arable land. This is why um, I push, this is why I push so hard against economism because I think any true communist program has to orient towards you know, uniting all peoples of the world into a common cause. And that means, you know, taking a strong stance against any kind of chauvinism. And so I think that it's it's basically people are going to see the barbarism of perhaps a fascist response to these changing conditions. And that might make communism have a sudden, like, lapse. Like, you know, it will come back in popularity, possibly. I don't think that's impossible. I think that I mean what scares the fact me that though, we're seeing a return of fascism doesn't I think that shows that you know there there is also possibly a return of communism and maybe there is you know the maybe it's not even a return of fascism come too late. I mean it but it possibly will I mean what's too late though that's the question like where it's, it's is, hard to say 10 20 years would probably be too late because when I read the articles about the the UN report they they switch between like 2030 and 2040 a lot. That's mm-hmm. the one thing that I notice. Okay. Well, I mean, the, the like, yeah, I mean, things will, they, it depends on like the escalation of how bad things get and like the balance of social forces, right? And it also depends on some level on like, you know, what quote unquote like deep state actors decide because, you know, we do have like an extremely powerful militar- militarized, surveil- highly surveillance like state in the United States. And the direction that they break will really determine a lot of, you know, where things head. <laughs> will, the, will the capitalist class basically say, we're just going to line up behind, are we just going to use this state as basically our shield 
and we will just like keep people out with as authoritarian measures as possible and we'll just take the mask of like human rights off completely and you know is that what we're going to be fit like facing you know like th these are the kind of questions i have at this point so i think that's very likely jake and i think that's the rational kernel the kind of the panic about an impending fascism so i don't think we're going mm -hmm. to see a return of like corporatism basically but i can see basically this kind of xenophobic anti-elite populism becoming more and more popular as a direct response to the, the problems but the thing is because climate change is a global problem it's going to necessitate international action and the failure of these national populist you know movements you know might necessitate might make more clear the necessity of internationalism and it might become that possibly these right-wing populist movements will you know just never actually take off to a certain degree and lose credibility very quickly and you know in the next couple of years this entire kind of right-wing wave will have completely lost credibility and then the left wing might have you know a sudden amount of success it's just it's hard to say because it, you know, politics changes very quickly in certain periods of history. Okay, so the world's going to explode in 10 years. What should communists do? Like 10, 20 years. So, like, because I understand the perspective for looking for, like, electoral, like, expression, and I understand all that. But if the situation is truly this dire, it gives some truth to some of the more obnoxious parts of of like the 90s post left that it, it's expressed in Ted Kaczynski and in some parts of Endnotes where like you know and also the anarchist track desert and to kin perhaps yeah like you know there's nothing we can do to stop the catastrophe and what but we ride it yeah we're gonna have to ride the tiger ride the tiger basically yeah that's why like it's evolaism and that stuff mixes together so well yeah i actually you know what i actually checked out from the library this week a few different like survivalist books like that's kind of where i'm at right now uh yeah. let's see i, I got mean, let's see i got I check, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna read some of these titles uh uh 100 deadly skills survival edition i got okay. um I got, I got, I got bug out the complete plan for escaping a, a catastrophic disaster before it's too late. Oh yeah. And then I got when technology fails, a manual for self-reliance, sustainability, and surviving the long emergency. Mm -hmm. so I've, been, I've been cracking those open. Uh, I don't know. I figure that if she gets that bad, like there'll be gangs that will take care of each other. So I can just like join the communist gang and maybe. Oh man, like, I don't yeah, know. We, we would get murked within like five minutes. <laughs> I mean, that's why, uh, I'm reading this, that's, why I'm re that's why I'm reading this book though. I was going to say on the yeah, podcast, yeah. like one of the things it recommends is to have a meetup space. Like we should have like a swamp side, like lair, um, like prepper. No, like prepper meetup space. Like, no, listen, it's, 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 it's like, like a compound. If, if things get you're that thinking worse, wrong way, you're thinking about having a, a swamp side conspiracy of prepping. We should have a swamp side conspiracy to seize power when the uh, like we should be blankets. Uh, I don't know. Well, That's, no, that sounds like a lot of work. God, shut everyone, shut, like, shut the fuck up. I'm trying to get to where we can sell survival seeds and some Alex Jones shit so we can make some money. Okay, let's let, let Jake talk. All right, all right. This Patreon's okay, like so really look, good. We really appreciate it, but you know, yeah, Jake, no, 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 listen, be advocating everybody, for everybody, 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 
I've been reading about this. Everybody needs to have like a set of like survival seeds, right? Like these are seeds that will grow in a lot of different conditions. We're charging a little extra, but we need to keep the podcast going because the globalists right. and the capitalists don't want us telling you about this information. Yeah. Not everyone is part of the valorous swamp side people's militia. So yeah. yeah, if you if you're if you if if you're in on the swamp side, then hit us up for some. Yeah, we're actually creating another a new Patreon t- uh, donation tier. You can be like in our survivalist like. Um, <laughs> so we'll tell you where to go when uh, the shit hits the fan. Yeah. And we'll provide like we'll provide a weekly newsletter of survivalist to, tips. to join our like to join our like uh, new ISIS. No, our neo shining path like survivalist <laughs> survivalist gang. For after yeah. Our our Gavarist autonomous bands. Honestly, yeah. this might this might be the most realistic scenario compared to building a revolutionary party that <laughs> successfully seizes power. All right, there that we go. Is... Swampside goes full post left. Nah, nah. See, I, <laughs> I, I, I think like... path. This is better than the post left. We're yeah. We're just gonna go randomly into the. Yeah, we're gonna be like gorillas. Like we're gonna have like discipline and shit. Yeah, I, I mean, as soon yeah. as like my skin used to being outside, you know, I like I, I take a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right. A little bit of exposure therapy, yeah. but I think <laughs> yeah. I I may shoot myself in the foot like a few times, but yeah. you know, I'll get used to holding a gun. You'll I'm, still be a hero. I've in gone, all the people's t-shirts. I've gone three days in the dead of summer without AC. So I'm yeah. gradually like building my body up yeah, to a place where yeah. I can handle the heat. Uh-huh. No, yeah. but if you think about it, you could take these findings and use them to like justify like an urban guerrilla protracted people's war strategy, and that the time that we need to go on the offensive is really soon. Okay. And even if our forces are small, it's Not complete. Okay. We need to actually like go into action with the militant minority to inspire greater Donald, action now. Are you yeah. thinking what I'm thinking. MLM. Well, I'm not, MLM. No, no, okay. that's what I'm saying. Let, let's let's that's go, let's saying. go to some festivals. Let's MLM. go on tour to, to like crunchy festivals and hand out pamphlets and build a progressive people's war throughout the Pacific Northwest. Woo! I mean, well, I'm so, is, I'm so the, the honestly, Pacific is what the white nationalists want to take control of. That's why we need to de- strangle fascism in its cradle. Yeah, yeah um, so that's that's I mean, where that's where the actual civil war of the U.S. Revolution will probably take place. It'll be like white nationalists versus communists in the Pacific well, Northwest. <laughs> the yeah. thing is, with like war and that sort of thing, it's like that's gonna cause a shitload of pollution. Also, oh yeah, that's like I mean, let's face it, we're we are we are all posadists now. Yeah, there we are still posadists. There's we still all, like kids dying of radiation poisoning in Iraq. Communi- communism, Jesus. if communism is going to be built in the 21st century, it will be in the ashes of World War Three. Yeah, I mean that's old. Con- I think that like Kotsky's argument that the Russian Revolution failed primarily because it happened in wartime is really flawed because I think that it's in the conditions of of imperialist yes. war that a revolution is most likely to happen. Or another think, catastrophic event. Yeah, because I think World War II, you actually did kind of see the beginnings of a re- potential revolutionary movement. But it just was basically destroyed by Soviet and allied hegemony. But in the end, I think that... And, and also, there were other revolutions that happened. You know, in a term, of, uh, you know, it's like China, Vietnam, and Yugoslavia was a real revolution. 
And that that really happened because of the you know fallout of World War Two. So I think that you know I, I I just don't buy that you know it's not going to be a war that leads to revolution, and that that's not the path we can take. Okay, so that's that's like I, I get it, but I guess to take it back to we have ten twenty years to live, revolutionary patience question mark, right? Like, how do we square these? I still, things? I, well, I, would I mean, look, let's that. face what we have. No, here's what we have to face. Here's the takeaway. Here's what we have to face. We have to face that if there is going to be communism, it will be management of the disaster. Right. That's what it will be. It, it won't be like we will probably not see fully automated luxury gay space communism. It will be right. Uh, there is just enough food <laughs> to go around communism. This is like, yeah, I mean, at least within our lifetime, I think what will happen is, is that there will be like an intensification of humanity's struggle with nature to survive and that changing our relations and forces of production might, you know, help us survive this struggle, but it's not going to make it stop intensifying because the forces that are going to lead to this ha- are already put into place. Now, from kind me, of like a broader me... systems perspective. Well, let's go back to what Lexi said about revolutionary patience. I think yeah, that yeah. how do adults was, prepare for this? Yeah, how do we actually pre- develop? Because what is a revolutionary party to do? Well, because we take it for granted that a revolutionary organization should not expect the revolution to be forthcoming, especially if we're if it's at like the level of a small sect. And that overall, we need to have a patient strategy towards building up the forces of revolution. Right. We need to put, you know, these forces into action at a certain point when the moment's right. And so there's a sense of patiently building up your army before you go into battle. Because if you try to go into battle as a minority, you're event- you either are going to establish a push as authoritarian government or you're going to be crushed. Mm. And I think so, that still holds okay. true regardless of the conditions of climate change. It just might, I don't know. I just I just don't think that we should like embrace like the theory of the offensive and this idea of you know urban guerrillaism as you know well, in yeah. response. That's you know, not what I mean thinking. by attack. You know that, like, oh, but we but, need our, our political our, our participations in elections need to be aggressive. Oh, definitely. I obviously like totally am with you there. Like we, we need to be we need to like, do horrific meme troll communist candidates for dog catcher and for every conceivable dumb like back office that has you know what i mean well the thing is like look at how successful the right has been at using social media to get people to leave absurd things to vote for horrible people like if if it just it's you know i'm not saying we need to like engage in the kind of conspiracy mongering that the right does but if 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 we, I think that you know we should you know be a little more aggressive in attacking our enemies when we campaign and not being conciliatory to the center, which is mm-hmm. I think the biggest flaw of the current U.S. socialist electoralist, yeah, act, as it actually exists, like actually existing leftist electoralism in the U.S. Yeah, we have to be looking at these things mostly as propaganda outlets. And should somebody be elected, for the love of God? they should do some kind of performance art. Like I'm going to post about all my decisions on Reddit or something like, hmm. Oh yeah, totally. Like they should, some kind they, of I, I still think that Frank, 
but shit. no, but we should still fight for reforms that are beneficial to the working class if we actually have, you know, well, saying the, the way that you would frame it is basically that you're going to block anything that you think is an attack on the working class. Yeah, you would abstain from any vote where either side is like basically, you know, su supporting the state against the working class. Yeah. So anything that the state tries to do the harm to working class, you are proposing that you, you know, you're hard line against that. You won't let that class and, you know, have any more incursion. You can't, you maybe you wouldn't even abstain, but vote against certain No, no, you, you would simply vote. You would basically be a, uh, what's the word? Uh, an obstructionist. Party of, par, par, party of opposition. You would be an obstructionist. You would ridicule a lot. You'd like ridicule the principles that the chamber holds dear. And then you would piss on all the votes they try to have. Like, for the most part, unless there's some particularly progressive, you know, or like legislation, and that's going to be really messy and tricky. Honestly, that's where no, the no, I mean, details. But still, if you have a meme communist platform, where I'm not saying you know it should be hashtag Occupy, but similar to something like that, where it's just a meme that people do to self associate, which carries all the problems that it that it's going to carry. Um, like that kind of thing is potentially viable, but you know, you have no way of controlling how that's going to go without like to build a party in this scenario. Like you have to start with those efforts pretty much if, 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 if there's no social organization to be had, and that's the thing that's scary is that is not that, you know, theoretically speaking, Marxists all are turning to the, you know, social realm, for answers for how to like, you know, think about politics, but the social realm doesn't have the coherence that it needs to. So we end up in these politically, you know, like we're as political agents trying to make self-emancipation happen. Well, but that's why I think that it's unavoidable that the political realm has to act on the social consciously. And part of communism is actually achieved by this process of, politics and the sense of people collectively taking state power and power into their own hands and collectively you know solving problems that that's part of what you know i think a revolution does is that it is that it transforms politics into something that's in the hands of the masses one thing that does kind of sketch me out about the, the look just stepping back and looking at the overall trajectory of things is like you know, given this whole sort of war against, like, this idea that's been set up since 9-11 of this clash of civilizations between us and, like, the Muslim world, like, it almost seems like it was planned. You know what I mean? Like, it almost seems like this is, like, one big part of the plan. Like, again, this is why like, I can understand why people get into, like, Illuminati shit. It's, like, it seems like the perfect vehicle to, like, wipe out, like, massive sections of the population and pit people create like this kind of false narrative of like these invading Muslim yeah. oh yeah i mean it totally but that's the thing is that the you if you study u.s foreign policy in the middle east post world war ii you actually can conceive of a wider plan that makes sense up till to today in terms of maintaining the middle east in a state of backwardsness that can be easily exploited by rentier capital yeah now it's yeah. clear it's clear from like the overall trajectory of this conversation that we don't really have a plan to fix climate change but you know who does cuba 
Uh, there's an article. I think you shared this like this week, Donald. Uh, Cuba embarks yes, on a hundred. Cuba embarks on a hundred year plan to protect itself from climate change. Um, let's see. I can you know, I I can read some bits from this. Um, let's see. On its deadly run through the Caribbean last September, Hurricane Irma lashed northern Cuba, inundating coastal settlements and scouring away vegetation. The powerful storm dealt Havana only a glancing blow. Even so, 10-meter waves pummeled on Malacion, I think I was butchered that pronunciation, whatever, the city's seaside promenade, and ravaged stately but decrepit buildings in the capital's historic district. There was great destruction, says Dalia Salaberia Fernandez, a marine biologist here at the National Center for Protected Areas. As the floodwaters receded, she says, Cuba learned a very important lesson. With thousands of meters of low-lying coast and a location right in the path of the Caribbean islands, uh, which many believe it are intensifying because of climate change, the island nation must act fast to guard against future disasters. Um, and so some of this is just like um, making adjustments, you know, in terms of to combat sea level rise and stuff like that. But, you know, it does kind of tease the, I, I think at one point in the article, somebody says, you know, Cuba actually like respects their scientists. So they take global warming seriously. <laughs> um, oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah, um, but they basically have a plan. Like their plan would cost a hundred million dollars. They don't have a hundred million dollars to spend, but they could. They basically figure they could retrofit a lot of stuff to absorb some of the impacts of climate change. But what's yeah. interesting is, wouldn't it be ironic if like Cuba basically became like this last bastion of like civil <laughs> socialist society? Who you know again because they actually did adjust reasonably well when the Soviet Union collapsed and the oil tap shut off. You know, like a good case study is comparing yeah. to North Korea, who basically continued to use the same. That's what I've always wondered. Met well, they, they use the same because... methods. Like, the, like the North Korea basically used the same methods of like petrol-based agricultural stuff, whereas Cuba, they basically said, just grow shit everywhere. Grow it on the roofs. Grow it in your house. Grow it in the backyard. Grow it wherever. Just grow food wherever you can grow food. And then they were yeah. able to basically adjust well, that that's, way. That's what I've always yeah. wondered because. Of all of the post-Warsaw Pact states, Cuba really does seem to be doing the best. And by logic, you know, logically you say, well, North Korea is so insane because they're so isolated. And this isolation is crazy, like a powerful nationalist, militarist like ideology. And their autarky feels like this kind of really archaic command economy system. And they, they've even taken up elements of racialist ideology from the old Japanese imperial system in the bureaucracy. And so, you know, but then it's like, well, why is Cuba not like, because I think we can, we like agree perhaps that, you know, Cuba and North Korea are two different levels of, you know, shitty Stalinism. Oh yeah. I mean, there are, there are different levels of shitty Stalinism. Yeah, I'm not because I'm, I'm not trying to like shill for Cuba and say that they've established like the, right. the perfect model for socialism. But there's actually, I actually have done some reading on the system of democracy in Cuba, and on paper, as it's designed to work, it's actually immensely democratic, and it's on based, paper. yeah, on paper, of course. And I think one of the problems that it distorts the democracy as it's supposed to work in Cuba is the basically the power that the secret police have over controlling political discourse. I think right. that's that's uh, one of the key problems in Cuba holding back a more democratic socialism because it's very because the actual institutions are formally in place for a very much like a Paris Commune style system. It's actually quite surprising if you look into it because it go 
it goes against if it's just the kind of like oh Cuba's just tropical Stalinism narrative. Yeah, that sure sugarcane Stalinism. Yeah, it, sugarcane um, Stalinism. Yeah, but, but how does it reproduce itself as itself if there's not something fucky? It's just a secret police. It's nothing about the structure. That seems problematic. Well, I think that you know by nature the state is forced to manage scarcity. And so, therefore, right. there's always socialism in one country, in, a, yeah, in an exactly. island country that's been blockaded by the world superpower for you know over. The problem is years. like yeah, and so therefore they're always going to have this kind of a repressive, um, because the thing is you have because they're blockaded and because they don't have access to the full cooperation of the world division of labor, they're forced to basically ration things, and I the mean, state doesn't have this kind of general you know, freedom from necessity that allows it to freely distribute needs. Right, so right. it needs to ration goods and the ration goods, you inherently need a bureaucracy and this bureaucracy can become very corrupt and it gets even more corrupt if you start having market reforms. But, you know, I mean, they have a, they have, they're, you know, they're, their health service, like their base, it's not an NHS exactly, but you know what I mean. Their nationalized health service has accomplished some pretty amazing things, and they send doctors. You know, anytime there's like a major third world disaster, they're a major source of like on the ground medical relief. And so, you know, people speak of their country and the third world very, very highly, and you know, even see it heroically for that reason. Um, so I mean, you know, my I guess my point is I could yeah. see, I I could see one of like there being like a strange irony of history where Cuba ends up actually being like you know the the sort of progressive like well managed <laughs> you know state like in terms of responding to climate change. Neo Cuba yeah. arrives from the future. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but I think that it, it, you know I there's some trots who swear to God that you know oh I've been to Cuba I've seen what it's like and they actually have planning in the true sense i, I think that's probably an exaggeration but i don't know wow. that's just yeah we gotta we gotta meet up in cuba that's gotta we gotta do a show yeah no, i mean we yeah. really have to do that maybe maybe i could become uh mariela castro's side chick and you know have it have it big and, and just you know set up shop in cuba well um it's interesting in cuba during the uh 60s they had ernest mandel you know hero of the trotskyism as an economic advisor at one point no shit Maybe yeah, they really do have Char planning. And so was Charles Bettelheim. Well, the thing is, ah, in the 60s, Che Guevara basically developed the critique of the value form. I'm not even joking. Like He actually wrote how the problem of Soviet socialism was that it didn't truly abolish the value form and abolish money. Wow. And so there was a series of economic experiments that ultimately failed to basically abolish the value form in Cuba led by Che before he went off to try to spread the revolution. Yeah. So there's people who actually say that Che was like an unconscious trap because he saw the revolution as starting in the periphery and then expanding to the rest of the world. But yeah, that's a kind of a historical... Oh, oh yeah, Che definitely has an internationalist edge that uh, Castro generally doesn't. Like, yeah. Which is weird because the revolution is basically... A nationalist revolution from the get-go yeah well i think che realized it was a nationalist revolution but he realized that if he just kept like pushing the revolution forward it would become a socialist revolution which is totally the trotskyist line on permanent revolution that a bourgeois democratic revolution can is is forced by its own logic to become a proletarian revolution 
So that's it's, it's he's such an unconscious trap, Shay. Um, I should actually uh, mention Take. that um, our brand of 100% organic coffee is actually grown in Cuba. It's called uh, Ruben Rise and Grind. You can get it at our website. Uh, uh, fucking, uh, we need a website, <laughs> by the way, actually. Then did we? Um, oh my yeah, god, we, we... that would be great. <laughs> Honestly, we need to have it. We, we need to go see Cuba for ourselves because I'm sure yeah. it will be yeah. very enlightening and very, you know, yeah. sober. Yeah, and, but, yeah. I don't, I don't buy it. We'll realize it's an extractive class society. Oh but... yeah, it is. I, I don't doubt that it's an extractive class society, but. Like, the point is, like, I mean, is the dictatorship of the proletariat not an extractive class society, basically? Yeah, yeah. but, that, but that's not, no longer dick prole. I mean, yeah, no, I, but no the, the question is, like, what is holding does back it, does Cuba it have, from being a dictatorship of the proletariat? The and question is, that, does it have big, big dick prole energy? <laughs> God, that meme is so lame. <laughs> I don't get it. Like, I, I think I'm just stupid, but I just, I don't get it. Yeah, it's stupid. It's like most memes. It's I mean, it's stupid, stupid. but I, I like it because trans girls on Twitter have adopted it. Oh, uh, nice. 